Hello everybody, my name is Gray and this is another episode of the Gray App Podcast. And my intentions actually was to start off with a different kind of intro, but it seems like that didn't work out. Okay, so our guest today is Sheikh Musididi, one of the most interesting and smartest people that I've met to this day. Um, Sheikh actually is the co-founder of African New Energies, as well as Aziza Coin. Uh, and African New Energies uh, is an, an innovative energy company, which I already did a podcast before with his co-founder, Stephen Larkin. If you go back to episode 43 with Stephen Larkin, the episode is called 50 Shades of Crowdfunding, and I'll, I'll put it in the links as well. Uh, we discussed the whole idea of the company, very, very interesting things that they're doing and innovative. And they raised, you know, they did not raise money through the typical venture backed way of startups. You know, they crowdfunded the whole thing, which is really interesting. So we covered that. And Steve connected me to Sheikhs. He also connected me with Gaza in Namibia, where I ended up going to Namibia and recorded the, the podcast with Gaza out there. So today we discussed um, not only crowdfunding, but we get into how Sheikhs got started, his story. Uh, we discuss you know, African New Energies a little bit, and we also get into startups and risks and funding and all those uh, sorts of things involved. And you know, the how can you fund or raise funds creatively these days? Because there's so many ways. That's why he created. Aziza coin so that he can you he can take advantage of cryptocurrencies to raise money to fund startups in South Africa. And one of the most interesting parts to me, uh, besides just you know having Sheikhs on the podcast, is how he got his name. Uh, Sheikhs is not his real name, but there is uh, a story behind it. So you guys, I hope you're gonna enjoy that as well. It's a very, uh, it's very different. That's all I can say for now. But yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Remember to share and subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or my website and SoundCloud and all those sort of places. Uh, until next time, enjoy my convo with Shakes. Okay. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, Stephen and myself were in the same flat in varsity. Mm. Uh, many many moons ago and um, we parted ways he went uh, to the UK mm. uh, where he became a British CA and worked for um, a number of companies including Unilever um, <clears throat> General Electric and uh, British Airways which is how he really got into energy uh, through British Airways I came and um, worked for a corporate here in uh, Gauteng in Pretoria mm. For, for most of my um, working life and uh, so I was in finance basically so Stephen through uh, social media actually at the time Messenger was still incorporated with Facebook and wasn't separate mm. and I got a message from him saying um, you know Sheikh here's my number let's link up you know so that very same evening um, we you know he told me about how he had eventually gone into the energy space you know so I said to him, look, it's, it's all fine and good, you know, it's great, but the reality is that, you know, I'm in finance, I, I know nothing about the energy space, you know, yeah. and he said, well, 
uh, for him there's two very important things um, first of all um, he trusts me totally mm. and the second thing was that he felt I had the aptitude to learn whatever I needed to learn you know um, and he said he wanted us to work together right now at the time um, he was and, and I sort of came on board and became part of that where we were really keen renewables individuals um, mm. in terms of energy and uh, we went into Namibia um, initially through a UN affiliated grant to to do a feasibility study of how um, um, Namibia could actually um, um, you know um, use solar to supply electricity to their mm. citizens um, the results of fortunately of the research um, were quite negative in the sense that we realized that the capex required to actually have a solar solution for electricity in Namibia would cost about 80% of Namibia's GDP. So it was just too expensive, you know. And um, and we then said, um, you know, obviously the Namibian government said, well, you guys, give us a solution. I mean, you've gotten the grant, you've come here. What can be done, you know? So we said, look, we're pretty confident that you guys have conventionally occurring natural gas onshore. And we basically said they could uh, use what we term a natural gas to solar strategy to actually um, use natural gas, um, generate electricity, sell the electricity, reinvest the profits into a, um, a solar solution. You know, so a bit unorthodox, but li- literally using almost a, fo- a fossil fuel to to to, to fund a renewables um, solution. Yeah. So the Namibian government then said, well, guys, help us find the natural gas. So when we had in, originally came in, we were not in the um, so-called hydrocarbon exploration space. It, it was, as, as I've just explained, something that came about where we then said, all right, we are more mathematicians and statisticians, but let's find out what's happening in the space, you know. So we we upskilled ourselves, learned more about, you know, the, the whole... Um, gas and oil exploration business and because of I suppose the relationship that we had with the Namibian government we were able to be, to get um, concessions uh, to, we have two blocks that uh, span 22,000 square kilometers um, for those that don't know um, how to visualize the size of that it's it's bigger than the size of Gauteng the province that's that's the area of land we have in Namibia that we're exploring on you know it's actually so I think it's about 75% of that size. Yeah. So we then went through the process of what was best practice when looking for for gas and oil. And the, 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 the most used techniques are what is called seismic technologies, 2D and 3D seismic. Um, however, we then quickly found that they were, um, had quite a low accuracy rate and were also extremely expensive. We actually asked one of the leading um, 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 gentleman in seismic uh, technology on the globe, uh, a person called Dr. Jan Peter, mm. to cost how much he would um, sort of approach a project of the concession of our size. And um, he basically said, all right, at first do 2D seismic, and based on the results, do 3D seismic in some of the areas that seem promising, and then probably including a four-well drilling program um, to try and prove the presence of resource, he costed it at, a, at, at the time $280 million. Now, that already prices out a lot of companies, I mean, to get that amount of money, you know, so that, which is why I suppose the gas and oil space 
uh, is almost entirely uh, for big players. You know, it's already established oil companies because we asked the, the further question. All right, after you've dropped two hundred and eighty million dollars, what's the probability of success? Yeah. And they said twenty six percent. Not at all. So three times out of four, you lose the two hundred and eighty million dollars like in that size. Yes. But um, there's other nuances and dynamics. But the reality is that if you're a big oil company, you don't mind really, because the one time that you do strike m- m- way more than compensates for the time that you miss. You know, but you need to be having huge budgets for exploration sure. to play in the space. So it's very, it's a very difficult space for new entrants to come in. Your so-called junior mining companies, especially in gas and oil. So what we did was we and and African New Energies is probably in a summarized way, I don't know how Steve exactly described it to you, but I would say we're a hydrocarbon exploration innovation company. So we, we're doing things very differently to how they are usually done when people are looking for gas and oil. And one of the, the biggest differences I want to say, which is maybe not a technological innovation, but it's, it's an approach, which is an innovation, is how we, we've, we've partnered with the local community in a way where uh, we've created a community trust and the um, in you know shareholders in the project, and as such have gotten the traditional leadership to rally behind our project and actually speak with the community to share any info they may have that uh, could help us in our in our project. Um, this has led to us finding um, um, hundreds of seeps on the concession. What a seep is, is is basically where there's been hydrocarbons that have come to the surface. And you determine these by doing what is called geochemical sampling. Now, although um, finding a seep on its own is 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 it's unpopular in the in the uh, hydrocarbon space because generally seeps travel horizontally. So where you find a seep on the surface, it's almost guaranteed that the resource is not there. Yeah. But it's very important information because it tells you that there's an active hydrocarbon system within a particular distance from where the seep is. So you know that somewhere within this vicinity, now using simple mathematics, if you assume a gradient of one degree yeah. and you just say use an assumption of the depth of the resource, let's say it be four, four kilometers, you can easily have, a, you know, have, have some sort of feel of the radius from the seep where the probably the resource originated from and um, um, um it could be i remember when we used four kilometers in one degrees it was about 200 and uh, 260k radius it's a huge radius so you don't know where in the 260k radius all around where the, the resource might be but i mean it is critical and important information and we've built an algorithm that uses 26 different layers or rather results from different techniques a lot which have been in existence but have been unpopular because on their own they have quite a lot of um, maybe uh, shortcomings but what we've realized is that if you take all these techniques and put them together in a very clever way you increase the probability of find and what we've done is we've created an algorithm that we are yet to prove it but on on I'll tell you how I say on paper we believe we've increased it to 70% right. probability of find. But hold on. So with all these technical terms and yeah. what you're doing, people would be wondering, who, who is the guy talking about it? So, say, so let's just pause oh, okay. and do okay. a little bit of an introduction. So from my research, yeah. well, first of all, I heard about you from uh, Steve, obviously, yes. uh, when I did the podcast with him. 
But you are part of African New Energies. You're one of the co-founders, that yes, correct? Yes, that's correct. And you're also the co-founder founder of the uh, your own cryptocurrency. Aziza. Aziza yes, that's right. Yes. And if I'm, I might be wrong, but you're probably one of the uh, the first black person in, in South Africa to complete his actuary science uh, exams. Is that correct, or I'm not? Not, 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 not hundred um, percent. What what I am is um, in in the University of Pretoria. Mm. Um, I was one of the first black people that were accepted into the accelerated actuarial um, program okay. there, right? Um, as you may well know, most of the um, the examinations to actually qualify as a fellow of the faculty of, or institute of actuaries are done during your working life. So I, I obviously joined a corporate with the intention of completing my, my board examinations. Yeah. However... Um, during the course of my, um, it's it's a long story. I don't know if you want me to go there, but I'll try and summarize as quickly as possible. So, so also before you get there, what's your name and where you from? Oh, my name is uh, Mutsididi, ne? Mutsididi, but my nickname is Shakes. Oh, so Shakes is a is nickname. It's it, uh, it's it's taken over almost as a first name, and the reason is quite simple. Um, when 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 I joined the corporate, I I I I, I they tried to create an email profile for me. Yeah. Right. And um, they couldn't. I think they'd hard-coded that um, it, it pulls an error if the name field is the same as the surname field. You know, uh, uh, so the IT guys so tried... So your first name and your surname... Is identical. It's, it's very identical. They are identical. Like 100%? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, is there a story to that? Yeah, my, my, it's, it's cultural. My, I'm, I'm South Sutu. I'm oh, Shesha. Okay. And Mutsididi means milk, like fresh milk. Yeah. Right Now... Um, as you may well know, to black people, cows are very important. Yes. And uh, my ancestors had so much milk that they they had so much cows that mm. they were called milk. So that's where the, oh, okay. the history of my <laughs> name comes from. And right. so I am milk, milk, oh. which is quite an alcoholic you know, <laughs> type of thing, you know. That's so even my dad calls me like um, refers to me as an ancestor, mm. you know, oh, okay. um, you know, oh, yeah, okay. type of thing. So anyway, so Shakes is a nickname. Mm. So my, my literally my background is working for corporate. I um, obviously went in as a technical individual with the intention of being, you know, tech related. I'm not tech, um, um, technical skilled related and complete my examination and become an actuarial scientist. However, um, I recall the then CEO whom we had gotten reasonably close, coming to me when an opportunity had come um, for a management position, um, asking me why I had not uh, applied. And I said, well, first of all, it's slightly different to my focus. And I don't have the, the experience, nor the skills referred to in the ad itself. You know, So he said, look, you're going to let opportunities pass you by. He had seen something that at the time... Um, um, I didn't see in myself either. Mm. But I think what um, I've come to realize is that one of the, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a reasonable people's person, mm. you know, which is quite rare in, in people that are quite mathematically inclined. Absolutely. So um, um, what, what he did was change my path to more of a management and leadership path mm. where, of course, the roles and responsibilities I held needed me to have quite a, a reasonable level of aptitude in math and math things related. Mm. Uh, but I could now 
instead of being um, um, a specialist, you know, actually lead teams. And I eventually became, at a very young age, the head of um, um, the actuarial and technical support department in Momentum Wealth, Mm -hmm. you know. But how it got to that is, um, you know, as soon as I applied and got to a management position, I then went uh, and did an an, an MDP, Management Development Program at Gibbs, Mm -hmm. at the Cornell Institute of Business Science. And then thereafter, I did did, um, leadership in the connection economy at the University of the Orange Free State. There's many other things I did, which are more right brain, not left brain type of, of skills where it developed how I, I would, um, you know, interact with people, how I problem solved, etc., etc. You know, um, I was just sharing with um, a colleague the other day that um, I did so much in that space. I mean, I, some of them are short courses, you know. I did interviewing skills courses where we even taught um, how to detect deception just by looking at somebody when they respond to a question and how their eyes moved, whether they're accessing their creative side of the brain, you know. Sure. Small things like that. But, I mean, the point is that my skill set grew uh, very much during my time in the corporate. So I left not only with a reasonable, I would say, um, um, command of more things uh, mathematical or statistical but more so business related and sure. leadership and management related and I think when I think of my path and where I am all of these elements sort of came together and each and every one of them are important um, um, they're critical success factors in business you know yeah. I think a lot of um, a lot of businesses fail because you find that um um, the innovators are very technical yeah. in nature and lack some of the other, I would say, ancillary skills required to actually make a business a success. But, but as, a, as a mathematician, your position is very unusual though, because that's typically not where mathematicians go. Of course, <laughs> of course. More, more often than not, they remain yeah. specialists and yeah, working for a corporate, you yeah. know. So this is where I'm saying it, it was fortune where I had a forward-looking CEO that almost changed my direction and path. I I'd never thought that I'd... I'd it, it's very... It's actually more difficult mm. to lead a group of people and get them to perform and manage them on a day-to-day basis sure. uh, for someone who's, 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 le- who's quite left-brained. Um, I remember when um, w- we did these tests, you know, where they, they look at where your strengths are mm. and then the head of organizational development compared my tests when uh, at different points in my career and it was interesting at at, at one point I was heavily left brain so like, like most skewed like 70% left mm. brain and 30 more right brain so which is very surprising yes but towards the end of my time at the corporate yeah. I was almost 50-50 so it had shifted yes you know and it was more in her explanation it, it was a not unusual mm-hmm. especially when you develop those other side of the skills the brain is an amazing thing mm-hmm. so I grew a lot of the right right brained mm-hmm. um, abilities and capabilities and it left me reasonably um, um, I want to say level in terms of, of, of both the right and the left brain in, in ability and capability now <clears throat> a lot of where where I think the crux of this is, is why are we doing what we're doing? How are we doing it? You know, we will talk about, uh, we can talk about 
cryptos, what they're doing, you know, the whole cryptocurrency boom, which you're well aware of. And I know the last stat I had was that in November last year, in 2017, all cryptos that had been launched in 2017 had returned like 1,300%, I mean, yes. including the ones that failed. Yeah. So there is a boom happening, whether people, naysayers, don't want to admit it or yeah. not, it's there. It's there. Yeah. You know? And then and, and what we're doing is sort of using this cryptocurrency boom strategically mm. to try and take funds to support small to medium-sized enterprises. The reason thereof is because these are the type of companies that actually create new jobs. Right. Now, if you listen to the State of the Nation address um, earlier in the year, yeah. the last figure is a little over 12 million South Africans are without jobs. Yeah. That, that, that's hectic. That's heavy. But the budget that's allocated to the startups, I, I heard something like there's not enough money for funding for startups, but they're creating more jobs actually than the established companies. Of companies course. Themselves. The problem is that the, the stats are, 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 are very challenging for startups. Mm. Nine out of ten uh, pre-revenue startups yeah. fail in the first two years. Nine out of ten. Now it's very difficult to justify, especially private sector funding, mm. to go into something that crashes nine out of ten times. Yes. However, um, I was making the analogy the other day about how I think, and I don't think it's a South African phenomenon. I think it's almost global. Um, but most people, I think there, there is a, a, a sector, a very small sector that actually understands it. We have a very weird relationship with risk. Mm-hmm. People, once they hear risk, they want to run away. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's risky, don't go there. The interesting thing is that risk is actually an opportunity. If something is very risky, there's techniques and strategies that can use to mitigate the risk, you know, to manage the risk. But more often than not, risk is an opportunity. And when I'm making an example, a pre-revenue startup, something that's concept stage, which on paper is extremely risky and does not attract any money, if you go and support an entity of that nature and it works out, you potentially can make hundreds if not thousands in returns for supporting it at that stage, what we call seed capital. Now, the reality is you can use strategies where you diversify. You don't put all your money in one high-risk venture. You actually uh, put it in five, ten small companies that are starting out, which is a form of diversification. And I'm telling you, even if two, three of these companies do well, you more than make up for all of the ones that fail, and by a large margin at that. Now, your, your private equity funds know that. Yeah. Most venture capitalists know that. However, the space, unfortunately, is is that most of them don't go to pre-revenue. They only go to, at least you need to have already started making some sort of revenue and they go in at that stage. So it's very difficult for pre-revenue businesses, right? The other thing is they usually come in and want a big chunk of the business. Mm. So they typically come in and take 80% if they're going to give you money. Yes. You know, which I... I I say it, I think it's unethical. Mm-hmm. I think you need, even if it's concept stage, you can use um, uh, methods to actually determine the potential of a business and be able to sort of justify if I'm giving you 10,000 rand, why I must take 5%. I'm making an example. So that it's, it's fair to the innovator, you know, the creator of the idea. And, and at the moment, I've, I've gone through that process. I mean, I remember... I applied to a venture capitalist for money for the project we had in Namibia. 
I I presented all the work we'd done up to that point, all independent reports that supported uh, that th- there was a probability of fine at this level yes. of this amount of, of gas and oil, you know. And and they said, we'll give you the money, Shakes. Mm. We'll give you the money. But we want 90% of the company. 90%? So I said, all right, explain how you got to 90%. Yeah. Like link it back to the amount I've requested. Yeah. They said, no. Nah. They just named whatever number. Yeah, and they said to me, we're taking the risk, so take it or leave it. And that's the attitude I find that a lot of private funding mechanisms are quite arrogant in the space because there is no money going there. So they can be uh, um, 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 as nonchalant as that, if I may put it like that. Because, I mean, more often than not, when an in, in innovator, you know, the, the high end of entrepreneurs, that idea is their life. You know, it's usually they, they invest it totally. And I think they need ethical partners. They but need the people... They look at they look at a startup as they think that their money makes the company works. It's their money that makes the business run. I think their perspective is like the venture capitalists. They think I, I give you money, we take ninety percent because without our money, this thing is not going to work. This is this is exactly uh, um, um, it, um, you know, Gray. Because I think that they need to understand that the real value here is the intellectual property that the innovator has brought yes. you know it's something that it, for instance when you're talking about an innovation something that does not exist that solve a real problem mm. pro- problem in society now obviously before you are going to invest money there will have been market research done the the gap has been analyzed the potential in terms of how much money this innovation will make will have been you know understood you know so i mean if 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 fair enough Without the money, you won't be able to develop your product. I mean, we're talking at a stage where you still have to do prototyping, probably to still develop uh, some of the design, and, and 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 then do prototyping, then test the, the you know the, you know the prototype, and only then do you have a ready product. And then even at that stage, you need funds for marketing, sales and marketing, etc., etc. You know to expand the business. So I'm not underestimating the importance of funding during that whole process. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can put a value on the idea itself. Yeah. You know, understood, say, okay, this idea is potentially worth $5 billion. I'm making an example. Yeah. You need to take that into, cons- into cognizance when you're saying, I'll give you 50 million rand, mm. I want 90%. That does not make sense. And to me, it's like, I feel mostly uh, with very innovative ideas, they're mm. very personal. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, either... Yeah. That guy is the one who's really gonna make it work. Yeah. Or nobody else actually would, even if you somebody had to try it. I feel that you yeah. know, I feel like that. That's the thing with most founders. I agree with you. And what 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 um, most venture capitalists and they do, they they will want you to, to stay on board for that reason exactly. Yeah. But they will, might want you to have a mi- minority stake, so they've got control yeah. of other things. Then you run with the business. They know once it's a success. You know the the phases have gone in. The yeah. product is on the market. They they give you an offer you can't refuse for your ten percent. Sure. Then they buy you out. Yeah. This has happened time and time again. But but exactly it. They leave you with ten to twenty percent. Mm. You you're still part of the whole process because it's your passion. It's your baby. You run with it. Now imagine as a as as a young black South African, mm. if you offered 
a buyout of 30 million rand if you're going to refuse it or not. I mean, you know that the business is a going concern and yeah. will make hundreds of millions over the next 20 years. Yes. But and, and your share would, would, would get you quite a bit of that, you know, like your 10 20 percent. But they're giving you now, yeah, you know. So most guys. They, they actually uh, uh, bought out um, um, after the product is actually taken to market, you know. And I think it's sad. I would, I would, our model, and, 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 and this is what our brainchild is all about um, as a business, is we would love to, first of all, as far as possible, retain control uh, uh, for the innovator themselves okay so sorry just hold on so here now we're talking about two elements yeah of your coin which is backed by your venture capital fund right yes. okay so because i came to johannesburg for the blockchain africa conference let's yeah. talk a little bit about crypto and stuff okay since you have your own cryptocurrency okay uh, just tell us more about what what it's about just you know i i understand it but like to the listeners what okay. what it is all about in look the future. <clears throat> there's a there's a lot happening in the crypto space in the crypto space as you're saying you know i mean it, it's aziza coin right yeah aziza coin there's a lot happening right now we we, 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 first of all, very important to mention, um, our coin is not listed yet. It's not done what um, is called an initial coin offering, which is much similar to an initial public offering yeah. for, for companies, you know, to be listed on a share for those that uh, are not aware. So you cannot go and buy and sell it and speculate on the coin as yet. We are, are, we are, we are going to, we've targeted to, 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 to list later in the year. Um, we had initially said May 2018, it's going to be more like June 2018, around there, but not far from that. Um, we've been engaging. There's a lot of work that happens before an initial coin offering. We have just now finalized that, I want to say publicly, 25, 95% probability will be will reside in the Isle of Man, right? This has just recently been finalized. But, I mean, we, we still have 5% of wiggle room if we there's something we don't like, but I'm pretty confident that's where we're going to be. There's been questions about whether we're going to be a utility or a security. Yeah. Um, and as you know, if, if we decide to go the security route, it's much more regulated, etc. Mm -hmm. Hence, most uh, um, cryptocurrencies have actually registered as utilities rather yes. than securities. But most of them don't really have utilities. We, yeah, exactly. Like exactly. In fact, all of them are securities. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's just this is where regulation is coming in. Yeah. And I think we are in a very lovely position because we are actually doing things and are making sure that we will we we're increasing the probability of our success by actually following the the guidance of what things are coming up, especially in the recent past on how cryptos are going to be regulated. You see, the reality is, and this is just my opinion, is that a lot of people have, have, have been using cryptos to, for anonymity, mm -hmm. to almost um, hold interests and, and make money mm -hmm. without it being known by uh, their jurisdictions, as it were, that sure. the citizens are making money. Mm -hmm. That cannot last indefinitely. Absolutely. My opinion is that it, 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 it is the end goal will be where if somebody makes money, that will be reported to the, 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 the jurisdiction they reside in yeah. and they will have to pay tax on the money they've made, which is the right thing. So we, we are already planning and gearing with that in mind, where anybody who comes into our um, uh, coin must be aware that we're actually going to share 
their information with their jurisdiction and the fact if they've made money or even losses. But the point is that we're going, we're looking for transparency. We're moving away from this anonymity uh, thing because we don't think the end goal will allow that. I, I believe that um, the big one again, which, which maybe differentiates um, uh, Aziza coin to most, our coin is designed to, to be an asset-backed cryptocurrency and to explain what I mean by that is the Aziza Coin Foundation intends to hold shareholding in all of the companies that it supports you know all of the small businesses it supports it intends to hold a shareholding a small shareholding in them so if you are an Aziza Coin holder you are a beneficial owner of a whole battery of, 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 of companies much similar to a unit trust and we believe that that is the end goal of the space you know because um, the reality is that if you if you think about the big issue when it came to fiat currency to when, you know, the Americans were printing, were printing dollars at will and, and people were saying, if you hold a dollar, what do you really own, you know, yes. and it's a perceived value more than anything, etc., etc. This is where most um, 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 cryptos are at at the moment and which is why naysayers are saying it, there's going to be a, a crash and whatever the case is. But we already are thinking a bit forward to say we're creating a crypto that when you own mm. one token, you actually own a tangible asset on the back end, you know. But then my question would be, why did you have to make this a cryptocurrency or instead of any other form of, say, like a unit trust or something like Well, that? I'll tell you simply. Mm. Cryptos are like, you know, they are fundraising. ICOs are fundraising exercises Absolutely. for a particular business idea. Yeah. The advantage to them is that they, they fundraise on a global platform. So if you, you understand, so which is very different to if you, 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 you register a unit trust in South Africa. Complicated. Exactly. And, you know, people sitting all over the world to actually buy a unit trust will be very difficult. But via the, 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 the accessibility and the way in which it's web-based, mm. it allows for more access. The, the whole globe, basically, if they really like what your ICO is about, yeah. can actually support your fundraise, you know. So it's, it's, it's for me... It's, it's literally the fact that we wanted to, we want to raise a lot of money. Our end goal is to support thousands of, of businesses. So we actually want to raise a hell of a lot of money. And the ICO is the best way to go. You know, it avoids a lot of the, the red tape, as it were, you know, and that exists at the moment, which is why cryptos are here forever. Are they here for, to stay? Because um, traditional banking systems have failed us. You know, I was chatting to um, another colleague of mine to say, I mean, we, we live in a very, very fast-paced world and business environment at the moment. Mm. And if, if, if I had to, to pay a small amount, 2,000 rand, mm. to a Nigerian citizen in Kwacha, mm. and he needed to go run and do something quickly and a business transaction hinged on that, I wouldn't be able to send him the money. It would take weeks. Yeah. You understand? It's, it's, just, so un- it's just inefficient. Yeah. Um, and, and this is why... Um, there's a lot of innovation in the space. Some uh, uh, digital uh, banks are being created where they're trying to disintermediate the whole process, you know, the, all of the, the red tapes and to say, listen, there's two people here. Yeah. We're living in a global environment. They want to send money to each other. Yeah. It, it has to be more efficient than four working days or five working days. I mean, you've lost a deal in that long, yeah, you know. So, so, so I think for me, the reason we've really, it is a fundraise. You know, um, and we even, um, um, I'll share, 
we're looking at dropping the coin. We are still discussing because our cryptocurrency is not a coin. It's not a. It's not. It's not for for trading, it's buying and selling. It's a store. It's a store of value. You know, with an intention of appreciating. It's a security. Yeah. You know. So, so we actually want to drop the coin because things are developing quite quickly, and uh, it's not something for buying and selling. It's it's for someone to hold on to it watch what's happening with its price as it appreciates then they can sell it and make a profit yeah. as the companies that are being supported by the Ziza coin foundations yeah. do well the price of the coin and the value of the coin also appreciates and that that for me is the future of the cryptocurrency space it's not a it's not a a replacement of fiat currency yeah. it's something totally different that's you know? a very good point that yeah. a lot of people need to understand it's like yeah. all these different cryptocurrencies mm. really stands for you know different projects and you know yeah. ideas exactly, you know, exactly. It's, like, it's not a replacement of a oh, currency no, yeah 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 that's a very good point yeah. so it seems like since any you have you know since you you know <laughs> got away from the vcs yeah you know went away with your uh, crowdfunding for mm. any which you mm. just raised millions. It sure. seems like that's where you're going with any other project that you're working on now. Yeah, so I, th- I think creatively coming up with new ways of raising funds. Exactly, ex- exactly. Because we we, we 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 had we had many bad experiences when we were fundraising for um, African New Energy, the project in Namibia, mm. which led us to rather do crowdfunding mostly in the UK because yeah. they had. A very favorable tax dispensation they call the Enterprise Investment Scheme, which allowed British taxpayers to support our company and get tax back from from their uh, receiver of revenue. But we realized that if you've got a community of small in you know investors, they don't want your soul. They're willing to have a small piece of the pie. So we raised most of our money. Just you know, giving away about fifteen percent of the company, okay. raising a lot of money, yeah. you know. But the point is that you've got a lot of small investors; they're comfortable to own a fraction of a of, of the company. You it's know, pretty much like the crypto way mm-hmm. of raising money. Where mm-hmm. I can just put a hundred dollars; that's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's crowdfunding. Exactly. So we, the more people, the better. Exactly. Which is why we almost almost graduated or gravitated from our crowdfunding way of doing things yeah. to now wanting to do an ICO for a, a fundraise, which is crowdfunding. Yes. Because we actually want people who want to support Aziza Coin to understand what we want to achieve and almost be investing with an, with an outlook of supporting our initiative, supporting what we want to do for unemployment, you know, how we want to deal with other social injustices, you know, yeah. poverty, etc., etc., education, which are linked, you know, and, and, and to want to support that. Of course, we want to make the money, you know, but, sure. but, but it, that must almost be secondary. I think they need to be saying, look, we, we love what you're doing. We know it's going to succeed and we want to support and be part of you, which is why we always even say, and, and it's part of the crypto space where uh, and hype is so important, you know. People need to be liking what we're doing, you know, sharing our story, sharing what we're doing, getting interest out there, you know. Um, and, and I know most, most coins have budget f- to reward people for activity of yeah. talking and sharing about the coins and whatever yes. the case is, similarly to us, by the way. But the point is that we want to create a, a community that understands what we want to do, understands that we come from a very compromised history, not only in South Africa, but in Africa, where there's a huge difference between the haves and the have-nots. We still have quite high poverty levels. Mm. Now, our outlook is that 
government can only do so much mm-hmm. big corporates only so much actually most of the work is done by small to medium sized enterprises to deal with these unemployment issues and social injustices and this is these this is has been proven empirically yes. you know i think the, the 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 numbers that the global entrepreneurship monitor published was that all about 60 to 70% of all new jobs mm-hmm. are created by small to medium sized enterprises and this is irrespective of whether you're a first world developing or, or just in general, uh, general. Yeah, yeah yeah the numbers are similar across countries with different gdps sure. you know it's scary how they're so similar you know i think i think britain was like the uk was 32% but this is the top 2% of entrepreneurs created 32% of all new jobs and in south africa 29% yes. look at the similarity yeah you know the, and and the point is that unfortunately no money goes there you know these guys are struggling they hustle that's why they still create the jobs but imagine if we could channel funds to those type of companies the impact and the change we could make to 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 countries yeah. you know and the probability would increase as well of course now this is where maybe the last uh, bit i want to talk about the coin is that um aziza coin foundation on top of obviously trying to get funds to startups mm-hmm. they've also created what is called shared services mm-hmm. and we want to increase the probability of success of all companies we support now we know that innovators just want to focus on the innovation they don't want to be dealing with human resource issues financial management issues etc etc so the so, foundation has already been existing uh, existing and they have been uh, funding companies well well mm-hmm. we're still in in our infancy okay. but this is the plan okay. the plan is to say when we fund you we also provide what is called shared services for every company that we we, we support okay. so this is one of the requirements for you to actually get funding from us yeah. and the reason is simple we want to be able to increase the chances of you succeeding so we don't want the innovator to be worrying about marketing about mm-hmm. what we provide all of those services and support you know to around now um um it's still on paper and i want to say now that I, i'm actually looking forward mm-hmm. um because we may have our success story within in terms of a, a company we've just we started funding within 2 years and that will be vindication and proof that our model actually works, works yeah. you know because at the moment the fund I'm running alumni energy investment mm-hmm. strictly supports pre revenue concept stage high high risk but extremely high high potential return yeah. type of companies So that's what we supported. Where money where no money goes type of thing, you know. That's what we're supporting and 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 we confident we'll make it work. But the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. And I can't wait for because I think the first one might actually even start be revenue producing within 18 months. Sure. But it takes time, which is why they 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 most fail. You know, you need to have money and support for quite some time before you actually start making any returns. Yeah. And then if we prove the concept and they become as big as we anticipate it will be vindication and hopefully there'll be other entrants into the space that will be creating opportunities to support these type of companies. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to keep you I know you you have to go okay. but if there would yeah. be a chance I'd be happy to, to do you know to continue from here because there's so much I'd like to discuss with you. Of course. And, and of some course. of the people that I talk to that yeah. I will be doing a podcast with you they send a list of questions. Yeah. And all but you know obviously we can do it next time. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. I mean I know you're based in Cape Town and yes. I'm down there quite often. Okay, yeah. Then. So so no no without a doubt. I mean the point is that um 
one needs to get the message out there of of, of what they're trying to do the the story almost yeah. you know um 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 it's been uncomfortable to share with you mm-hmm. i mean i'm not someone who likes speaking uh, in front of people and 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 doing interviews but i've had to adjust and adapt because um how do you get your 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 story out there your, sure. well, you know what you want to do to to people unless you actually talk about it and yes. then engage yeah so it, it's what i have to do you know right yeah thanks so much for your time no thank you for having me right. okay cheers